weeknights from 6 on 2FM. Many thanks to Emma Power for her entertainment this afternoon. It's Monday the 16th of January and this is Game On. Coming up today, we have a decisive Premier League weekend review as Liverpool languish, Arsenal roll on and with the help of a referee, Manchester is red again. It would be their ninth win in a row and there it is, confirmed. <laughs> Nine in a row for Eric Ten Hag who turns to his right, shakes hands with Pep Guardiola. It's all very different now in January compared to October. 6-3 on the other side of Manchester. But now Eric Ten Hag has got his feet under the table and what a win, tinged with controversy, but what a win nevertheless. More on that with Paul Curry and Stephen Kelly shortly. Meanwhile, in rugby, Stephen Ferris and Ian Keithley reflect on all the European action, including an afternoon to remember at Thoman Park. Across on that far side of the pitch, the referee's whistle has gone, and it is going to be a scrum if there's time for anything left. But the referee has blown the full-time whistle, and there's a huge sigh of relief right around Thoman Park Stadium. Indeed, on the pitch as well, as the referee has blown the full-time whistle. Munster have survived only just... But then again, that's the monster way. It most certainly is, and we'll have all that and much more between now and 7 o'clock. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or tweet at Game On 2FM. Game On on 2FM. So we're delighted to be joined by Paul Corey in studio this evening as well, myself and Marie Crow. Marie, big day in GAA yesterday, but have you a highlight from the weekend? <laughs> funny now my highlight isn't actually um, a sporting highlight but it is an on-field highlight I was really entertained at the end of the Arsenal Spurs match um, Mikel Arteta was talking to Aaron Ramsdale and they were congratulating each other and out of the corner of his eye he saw Granite Xhaka running down towards the is it a Spurs contingent or towards the, the fans he was running up the pitch anyway and the look on Mar- on Mikel Arteta's face when he realised that he needed to go and get Chaka as quick as possible was hilarious, and he just he just turned at a ninety degree, hundred eighty degree angle, and he was gone down the pitch. I just thought it was hilarious, and it just reminded me of like when you're a parent and you've lost sight of your toddler, and they're just about to run out in a road or do something really dangerous. It was exactly like that. I thought it was brilliant. Oh, that was hilarious. Is right, Paul Curry. Had you a highlight from the weekend? I did, Ruby. I was kind of torn between two. Um, my first one was was Judd Trump and the snooker. Love watching mm-hmm. Judd. He's such an entertainer, and, and just to see him go on and win the Masters for the second time was brilliant. But I'm going to stick it a little closer to home and go with Evan Ferguson's performance against Liverpool. He wasn't on the score sheet this time round, but I just thought the way he ha- handled himself against Canate and Matip and against one of those top four Premier League teams, it's a story that we're sticking very closely to, and it's just great to see how well he's handling himself in the Premier League. Former top four Premier League team? <laughs> yeah, I think we can still categorise him as a top four team for now. <laughs> just about, just about, I'd say. Ruby, what about you? What about me? Um, I suppose I should be saying Manchester United beating Man City in Old Trafford, but I think we'll get to that in a minute. That was fairly controversial. And even as a United fan, I think we were very, very lucky. But I was in Pontus yesterday afternoon and Pere Pass was very good in the Moscow Flyer Novices Hurdle, but... I did think Brian Hayes was exceptionally good aboard impervious in the Madigan's Novices chase. Not for a big name rider, but a big ride for him. A pretty decent race. Richard Blackmore's in front with on a journey with me, but I just thought his coolness, the way he delivered impervious, his timing, I thought it was a really, really good ride from a fellow that doesn't get very many big chances. When you're watching jockeys in races, are you watching what they're doing all the time as well as... I yeah, I suppose like anybody like Marie, you watching a football match, you're looking at position, pace, um, you're thinking where you should be, 
you're almost talking to yourself. Don't I? More often, not just saying, "Sit, don't go, take your time, take your time." But uh, yeah, of course you are. You, it's like everything. It's much much easier from the stand <laughs> than it is when you're actually doing it. But it's like the same as watching a game. And when you're watching a race live, even more so than on television, you can see so much more. And um, yeah, of course you are watching. And you see people doing things. You wonder why. And sometimes they work out. And more often than not, they don't for them. But everybody on field or on horseback makes a decision and you have to go by those decisions I can safely say I've never actually looked at anyone in a race and thought that they should be doing something or shouldn't like I would just wouldn't have an, a clue or wouldn't even yeah. enter my head I'm only just thinking I wonder will they win yeah no really yeah, but the same, you you look at a defender and you think, well, why is he there? Or you look at a striker, you're thinking, why aren't you making that movement? Or, you know, it's the same in every game. I mean, you have to read the situation and, and play what's in front of you. You have to ride a race that's in front of you. And you, you see things happen. And pace is the biggest thing. When horses are going too fast, and it's easy to tell when they're going too fast. You're looking at the ones at the back thinking, if someone is just patient, they'll catch up here very easily. And, um, yeah, they, they are very... There's lots of things it's, happen. It's quite interesting because I'd never have said, and I'd never say, like, you have to have played football to judge footballers. I think it's fine if you haven't played football to be judging footballers or GA players. But somehow I think that if you haven't got on a horse and been in a race, like, you don't, you're not really in a place to be judging. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. That line is trotted out a lot too, mm. and I wouldn't agree. Plenty of people have watched a lot of race and formed an opinion, mm. an opinion on it. Now, maybe someone that rode could say, well so-and-so did that because of something that someone that didn't ride hasn't done or hasn't seen. But a lot of people who never rode can form quite a good opinion on a race and can break down a race and, and explain it to you as to what happened. Now, there'll be certain decisions or technical things a jockey might do that someone who hasn't ridden wouldn't know or understand. But as regards to the tactics or understanding of a race, there'll be a lot of people that didn't ride that would have a pretty strong opinion and a good opinion. Are you suggesting we get you up on a horse, Mary? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> That's why I have Ruby here. Just, yeah. Ruby tells me about things and then I, I just regurgitate what he says to whoever asks me. I, I would see things technically, where people's feet are, where their hands are, the position of their head, the position of their body that some people might notice. But then again, it's the same with tactics. I mean, Paul could explain why a footballer didn't turn left, turn right, how somebody saw a pass. But I could say, well, like, hang on, the centre-back's out of position. We can all see that. Mm -hmm. You can see the same in a horse race. You can see that the fella at the back is out of position because they're going slow, so he should be at the front. If you watch any amount of races, you can form an opinion and understand that. But there are as many tactics in racing as there is in every other sport. But unfortunately, most people go to horse racing or come to, come to the races and all they want to do is back the winner. No, Very few people walk in the gate of a race course wondering how Paul Townend is going to ride a horse or what Rachel Blackmore is going to do. And they're all a huge part of it. They just want to know what's going to win. Yeah. Whereas in every other sport, they're going into Crow Park yesterday wondering how are the Surestown lads going to manage David Clifford? Yeah. Not who's going to win the game. <laughs> so it, that, that narrative is never explained, never talked about in racing. I wish it was because there's so much more to it that people don't get. They just see the gambling and what's going to win. But there's way more to it than that. Yeah, you're just kind of going wanting to be entertained, really, isn't it? Mm. Okay, well, that was a, quite an interesting um, aside that we are uh, um, aside there in that conversation. You mentioned Crow Park and uh, David Clifford. So much has been written about him and spoken about him in the last few weeks, particularly because of the scenes that we're seeing in club grounds where he has been playing for his club and the amount of people that are turning up and um, just been absolutely... Blow, I've been blown away by the hysteria around him. He's obviously brilliant, but to see thousands of people flock onto a pitch, 
The last time I saw it was Shane O'Donnell when Claire won the All-Ireland and um, he was I think probably more so because he looked like he was in a boy band that he was getting a huge amount of attention obviously he was brilliant on the pitch as well but there was a different kind of element uh, to the Shane O'Donnell hysteria um, but it's just been it's it's been like JFK almost um, Beatlemania uh, I heard it described as yesterday but when you think about everything that he's won and what he's done and even if you look at him yesterday it's easy to understand but there's look Ruby just because you've been there being the main man in your sport does it bring a huge amount of pressure? Yeah, probably expectation uh, more so than pressure and expectation also that you put on yourself now I can't speak for David Clifford I was lucky enough to talk to the man once and he, he's a gentleman but um, it is expectation and you know that when he turns up to play for Fossa and instead of there being a hundred there there's 2,000. Yeah. He damn well knows that the extra 1,900 are there to watch him. So then it's he feels the expectation of what they've come to see. Now, he is young and he's brilliant and things are going right for him. It's, it's when things stop going right for him that he has to get back on the track. That'll be a huge test of him. And I hope that, that when it, I think he will, of course he will come back from something like that. But it, there is, it's expectation more so than pressure. It's the expectation on yesterday he delivered. What did he score? Five of the first se- five of Foss's seven points in the first half. Eleven altogether, yeah. Eleven altogether, yeah. Yesterday he delivered, and he keeps delivering. And I suppose he loves what he's doing. He, he and he does seem to find it easy. It's just if it ever finds it difficult that the ex- pressure of expectation might weigh on his shoulders. Yeah, and that does happen. Um, so we were looking at David Clifford yesterday and, and trying to figure out what you do with him. And since you're um, since you're educating me on all things racing at the moment, is it something similar, Ruby, when you're in a race and you're the main man on the best horse? Do people try and double mark you? I don't say double mark you, Marie, and I suppose it's, it's coming about more and more with the GAA now as well, in that there are so many cameras in a horse race, there's only so much marking you can do. So you, where you would get in horse racing is if you're riding the best horse and you are the, a, a top jockey, you will get to the start and all of a sudden there's three of them standing behind you. Now they can't stand in front of you, stand on top of you and pull you down but they will be right behind you because you are perceived to be the one to beat so they will follow you to have one attack at you whenever they think it may be possible so yeah, you would notice when you get to the start I did it as a young fella you go to the start when you're inexperienced, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to follow <laughs> the best horse with the best jockey on it because there's a fair chance he's going to do the right thing and if I'm right behind him or her I'm going to be in the right place too so like, that's only simple logic but what do you do with David Clifford? It's slightly different. What did Georgetown do yesterday? Put one fell on him and someone else shadowing him. But like when you're as good as him, why don't know? What, what can you do? If you double mark him, treble mark him. If you start treble marking him, he's only going to pass mm. to the person that's in space because yeah, he's that so kind 15, of a brain 15. and he sees things happening anyway. So, um, yeah, but you would get more attention. You would notice more people closer to you at the start. And then you hope that the opposition has been ridden by equals, your peers, I suppose. And, they won't follow you because they have confidence in what they're doing themselves. Do you look at them as opposition? Yeah, they're all opposition. Okay. Yeah, but you, 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 in, in a horse race, everything's opposition. There's no one else on your team. They're all opposition. Right, well, I'm learning a lot today anyway uh, for Monday. Rugby time now, though. Um, Ruby, I think you've uh, given me all that you can give on that. I can't take in any more on racing tactics and No, before we go, Marito, <laughs> I, I was watching that game yesterday and there was plenty went on on that pitch, but there's surely going to be some repercussions for what happened in Crow Park yesterday for some of those players. There was one particular scene that it's not right on any football yeah. pitch. 
look, we've had this conversation so many times. There, terrible things happen on GA pitches before, well, middle matches, half time, uh, after games, and they do hand out bans. People don't learn from them, and it just it's rinse repeat. That's the way it seems to be. It's not right, and look, it's not even nice to watch yesterday that you're watching the best footballer in the whole country in our lifetime probably and he's been subjected to um, to terrible things but is it going to change? I don't think so. You There's can no give out the bands whatever but they, the same thing keeps happening. Then do you ever think how long will David Clifford keep playing at that level? When you look at the when you look at the, the heat he got yesterday mm-hmm. like I mean how long and he did remarkably well to probably control himself for as long as he did. Ultimately, it was two yellows he got sent off for, yeah. and one was a deliberate foul. But like, how long does he keep putting himself in that position at that level of football to be just hounded? I just wonder as well, Ruby, though, does he know any different? Because he's always been a star. So for his whole lifetime, I would say he has been in that situation. Now, it's probably getting more intense because, you know, he's obviously playing senior football. Yeah, but now he's... Such a big name. There's thousands coming mm-hmm. to watch him. You you think how many p- people are going to walk on a pitch now thinking, can I be the one that David Clifford hits to get sent off? That's the next thing that's coming for him. Like, he control his own temper. Who's going to be the hero that Clifford hit? Yeah, well, I would hope that there isn't people out there like that. Although, watching the Watching the game in, yesterday, in the that's Arsenal what it looked like. Spurs won yesterday. Uh, there's issues all right around... Uh, the way people behave when you look what that fan did to Ramsdale afterwards I'm sure look let us know 51552 uh, what do you think uh, is there any way to stop those ugly scenes at the end of GA matches in the middle of GA matches we did see some ugly scenes in the soccer as well yesterday I have to say and uh, rugby wasn't perfect at the weekend either and we're going to get to all of that um, I am delighted to say that Stephen Ferris and Ian Keatley join us on the line before we get into all of the games matches uh, Stephen we have to start with the news that broke uh, late last night it felt like one of those stop the press moments uh, when it was announced that Dave Rennie was sacked by Australia and replaced with Eddie Jones. Do you think with us um, edging towards a World Cup that it's the right move for Australia to bring in Eddie Jones? Geez, yeah. Um, I wasn't expecting it, to be, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Um, I don't think a lot of people were expecting it. However, the results over the last, what, 12 games, I think it is for Rennie, are, are really disappointing. Um, it hasn't went the way that he was expecting or any of the Australian fans were expecting. And ultimately, he's, um, he's, he's been put on the guillotine. And, uh, you know, a number of coaches have been let go this season. Even look at Claremont, John O'Gibbs. Mm-hmm. He was let go today as well after a poor result against Leicester Tigers in the Heineken Champions Cup. So, yeah, it's a, it's a cutthroat business. And unfortunately for Australia, they, they haven't performed in the big games and, um you know, they went with Eddie Jones, but uh, how good would it be if Eddie Jones faced England in a World Cup quarterfinal? How good would that be? And knock them out. <laughs> well, I'd love to see that too, to be honest. Ian Keatley joins us on the line as well. Ian, just your reaction to that story that really did take 99% of people by surprise, I reckon. Yeah, I was very, very shocked about it. And I suppose that the, the game that we're in, is, it's, it's a results-based game. And if you're not winning, they're they're going to look elsewhere because I was, I was watching Australia because Dave Rennie was the Glasgow coach um, before I I actually went to Glasgow and they could not speak more highly of him and um, and his team around him and so I kind of I watch Australia because because Dave Rennie and he actually did transform them game and transform their game from where they were they were in a really dark place 
and he has gotten playing much better rugby like they're playing an attractive brand which people can relate to but he just didn't get the results um, and, and that's what it just came down to and I think they're looking for a little bit of a quick fix uh, bringing Eddie Jones in who listen Eddie as glad as the, the, the scrutiny that he gets, he, he, he transforms rugby teams and he, he did it, uh, he obviously did it with Japan, he did it to, with England, got them to a World Cup final and I think Australia are looking for that quick fix with, with Eddie Jones but uh, it's, it's interesting now with, with two high profile coaches um, in the last two days getting a sack and we're just looking at Leinster and there hasn't been an announcement there of a replacement coach for, for Lancaster so it's going to be interesting to see if one of them take the job. I wonder who will take the job is right, Stephen Farris, but at the moment, Australia might be looking for a quick quick fix, but there is nothing to fix in Leinster. They're just incredible to watch. Yeah, uh, much stronger team as well with Gloucester, and everybody thought uh, a much tighter game. Uh, at the RDS, it was it was a walkover, and um, I think it's Skippington, the head coach of Gloucester, was kind of like saying that he had to protect his team and the, the game time and everything else because of the Gallagher Premiership and how many games there are um, and he obviously went a little bit stronger but you know they got absolutely smoked 49 points to 14 and you know no Robbie Henshaw and Osborne, young Jimmy Osborne steps up to the plate, a good man on the match performance by him obviously give a shout out to Keane Healy as well 100 um, European caps to his name so it was a great day for them and um, you know they, they, they just keep trucking on like they're they're unbeaten this season. Um, I know we're not at the business end just yet, but you know when you've got that momentum behind you, they're, you're a very very tough side to beat. And I think they are the benchmark so far this season in Europe. And I know you're going to touch on it briefly about La Rochelle, but you know La Rochelle had to dig deep. If we haven't seen Leinster having to dig deep, um, probably not once this season. Uh, maybe against Ulster in the, in, in the looking into the second half, they had to dig a little bit, but. Uh, you know, very, very impressive and fair play to everybody who took the pitch because um, they were in fine fiddle. Ruby, uh, Stephen mentioned Jamie Osborne there. A very proud day for Nace Rugby Club, no doubt. And I'm pretty sure you've mentioned him on this show a couple of times. Played there myself, Marie, many years ago. That was my club, Nace. But like, to watch him playing at 12, you think, you think, Fez, to watch him, you think he'd been doing it all his life. I mean, some of the lines he ran were incredible. I mean, I know Andy Farrell and Paul O'Connell were in Thoman, but did he stick his hand up for Andy Farrell? Yeah, why not? You know, I think um, we're blessed, obviously, in the, in the centres. He's played a little bit in the back three as well. He's played a full-back. I think it was early on in the season. Uh, but Jimmy O'Brien seems to have kneeled down a bit of a back three spot. And he's obviously played very well when he's been for Ireland uh, also. Uh, just so competitive. Stuart McCluskey, he was the one that kind of got given the uh, the jersey during the autumn when Bundyaki was out. Um, Henshaw picked up a few injuries. Um, so yeah, it's it's going to be very interesting. There's a lot of other lads like Jordan Larmer. I think has you know come back with a bang. How good has he been over recent weeks? And being out, he's been out with a couple of stints of injury. And there's going to be some tough decisions for Andy Farrell and the coaching staff to make. And it's brilliant that there's so many guys. Uh, first of all, I think Ruby playing with a smile on their face. They seem to be really enjoying the rugby. Um, and hopefully that feeds into what's going to be an unbelievable Six Nations, especially with England and France coming to Dublin. That squad announcement is on Thursday, so we'll be going through that when it um, when it does land. And as Stephen says, it is going to be really interesting. Just uh, before we finish up on uh, Leinster, Ian, just given the fact that they they haven't been tested, how worrying is that for for the coaching staff? And like, is there anything you can do to try and and, and counter the effects of that? 
<laughs> that's a good question. Like, God, like they, I suppose you could say that they were a little bit tested over over Christmas um, when, let's say, they when they played Monster on Stevens' day, they were obviously losing. Uh, being down I think they were down by 8 points or 10 points and they got a yellow card and I thought they, they saw a pretty good reaction there they got tested against uh, Ulster in the RDS uh, before Christmas obviously they were what 21 point, or nearly 21 points down and, and they had good resilience there and they came back so you could say that they have been tested and I think they, I think they benchmarked themselves against against themselves. I don't really think that they're, they're worried about not getting tested. I, I think, um, I think they're just a class apart, and they're, they're so enjoyable to watch. Um, I, I, I won't. If I was the coaches, I'd be, I'd be more so worried if they, if they weren't getting bonus points every week. They kind of seem to when they just win and they and they win well, but not clinical. They always go. Ah, oh, we left a couple of points out there. So they're always benchmarking themselves against against themselves. They they set they set higher standards from themselves, and I don't really think they're worried about not being tested. They're just making sure that they are clinical at every opportunity they get, and they're being so creative with off their set piece lineouts. But also they're 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 upping their game on their five meter um, five meter taps. They've just they've just they just keep changing it up and it's so hard to even do analysis against them like you don't know where they're going to attack so it's 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 an really to lose it is going to be interesting when they come up against those those big teams that they've struggled against in the past like if they come out against a, a La Rochelle or a, or a Toulouse or um, a Saracens in, in those knockout stages and we'll see if they've learned their lessons from the past when they play against them but at the moment I, I wouldn't really be worried about them Stephen, speaking of La Rochelle, there is never any good way to lose. But if you're an Ulster player, when you came off the pitch on Saturday night, you could not have said, I should have tried harder. No, definitely not. And that's probably one thing that's been missing over the last six weeks. Well, maybe not missing, missing to the eye. I know, I know the lads are going out there and obviously they're, they're giving as much as they can. But you know, unforced errors creeping into their game, um, lack of skills as well. And uh, maybe that sort of comes across in the television that maybe there's a lack of endeavour but you could not question that whatsoever and I think it was the perfect kind of weather conditions a night for everybody just to roll up their sleeves and get stuck in and that's exactly what they did I, th- I thought they were a much better team on the night than, than La Rochelle they played the conditions much better Nathan Duke and Ian Madigan at 9 and 10 controlled the game much more um, I was sitting watching the game on the television like with my head in my hands thinking, La Rochelle, what are you actually doing? It's, it's, a, it's a hurricane. There's 40 mile hour winds, sleet and rain coming in sideways, and they're trying to throw it to the tail of the line. It, just, it was absolutely baffling. But again, typical friends, they, they just hang in there. That's just what they practice week in and week out. And um, they got their opportunity when Andy Warwick gave away a silly, silly penalty in the 78th minute, I think it was. And it was a lovely kick to the corner. And off that there, Ruby, they got to their mall and you know, pick and go, what, 10, 12 phases later, and they get underneath the sticks. So, yeah, La Rochelle, fair play to them. They were um, awful for the most part of that game. Uh, and Ulster possibly should have had a penalty try just before half time because of repeated offences around the mall. But, um, yeah, it's just a part of the season that Ulster just can't get over the winning line. And that's numerous matches now over the last couple of months that they've lost in the last two minutes. 
In the build-up to the game, Stephen, um, Bernard Jackman highlighted Jared Payne and um, his departure has been one of the reasons for the poor defence we see now as of this evening that he's taking charge of Claremont on an interim basis. How big a loss is he? has he been for Ulster, do you think? I don't think... Uh, I'd probably disagree with Bernard there. Um, I think if you don't hold on to the ball and you can't execute um, your attack well, you're going to defend for much longer periods of time. And, yeah, they've been porous in different stages throughout the games um, individual missed tackles but you know, an individual missed tackle isn't down to Jared Payne not being there in my opinion um, you look at the amount of points that Claremont have conceded as well um, with arguably better players uh, you know it maybe suggests that you know, Jared Payne wouldn't be the quick fix for Ulster that everybody thinks it would be um, I think he'd done a great job when he was there and uh, I obviously played with him and you know, a really good attacking player um, and uh, brings a bit of bit of leadership and, a, and a, he's a good voice that you would listen to. Uh, but I've also worked under Johnny Bell, and you know he had a pretty good record with Ulster when he was last there. So it's uh, yeah, it's easy to sort of point the fingers and say, well, here the defence is coach fault because we're conceding more points than we did last season. However, we're not holding on holding on to the ball anywhere near as well. And you know people might say, oh, we're scoring, we're still scoring tries, we're scoring more tries, but. Take out the Ulster Mall from the last three months of their play, and they've scored hardly any counter attack tries, hardly any multi phase attack tries, um, hardly any uh, launches off set pace tries. So um, I think there's arguments on both sides. Ian, it was a, a game, as, as, as Fez is saying, about the Mall and the forwards, but when your backs are to the wall, you need your big players to stand up. And, and I thought Ian Henderson was monumental on Saturday night. Hey, hey, yeah, he was. And- it's kind of exactly what you need from your from your big players to stand up, especially when they, when when your backs against the wall. And we all know, I think Ulster's form ever since they lost that match against Leinster, it's just it's just shot their confidence and it's affected their uh, what what is saying there, their attacking game. Like I think um, if your attack keeps breaking down and you keep having to defend the whole time, listen, you can't against teams now. Uh, the likes of teams that they've played against, they're, they're good attacking teams. And if you keep giving them, if you keep breaking down in attack, you're going to give them more attacking opportunities to attack you. And your your defense can only last so long without breaking down. And that's what's happened over the last while. I thought, when they lost Leinster before Christmas, I thought they were going to get a reaction against Sale the next week. And then I think they lost it was a 39 nil. And it's just shot their confidence. And confidence is a huge part part of rugby, and it, it, it affects your your attacking game like well, passes would have stuck in the past you just with, with the lack of confidence just those 50-50 passes might stick and that's what seemed to happen and then obviously they lost to Munster at Christmas and I just think when, when La Rochelle and it started lashing rain it was one of those games where okay it's not gonna, this is not going to come down to skill this match it's going to come down to who rolls up their sleeves and Ian Henderson I think he led by the front and they said right let's get down and dirty in, in this match and we saw it like it was. It came nothing down to to skill execution. It was it was one of those nights where whoever fronted up, and it was a great probably. I, I thought the conditions were a leveler, and it brought Ulster back into the into the fray, and they were winning what three 0 with two minutes to go, and they just conceded the last play. But it was that the weather was, had a big impact in that in that match, and it just it just uh, brought brought Ulster probably being able to compete with La Rochelle because if it was a sunny day. Or a sunny night, I don't think uh, Ulster would have been in there. Would have been even close. 
Stephen, just with that confidence piece in mind, will Munster take confidence from hanging on to beat Northampton on Saturday, uh, 27-3 at Thoman Park? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, Ian and I were actually on the call with, with you, Marie and Ruby, well, three months ago when we were chatting about how Munster's confidence was shot and they were just looking for a bit of a spark. And then all of a sudden they had that huge victory um, against South Africa A and that was the springboard to get their season going and Ulster needs something similar but you know Munster 24-0 up a red card Jack O'Donoghue I was just there was, for me there wasn't a huge intent in it but it was the way the shoulder did hit the head the red card letter of the law let's play on but they held out um, and lots of young men on the pitch as well towards the end of the match and uh, I think it's brilliant sometimes when you don't play out of your skin but you can hold on to you know a really tight game, um, backs against the wall stuff yet again by Munster. It can it can sort of almost be better than going out and winning by forty or fifty points. And um, and I think that'll stand them well going into the, the next few weeks. Another, they've another big game this weekend, huge game away from home. Um, it's probably going to be very much the same group of players that are going to go over to France and take on Toulouse. So we'll see how that goes. But um, you know you've got to give them a chance and. It's brilliant to see Monster coming back from the depths of depression three months ago. Um, and, uh, yeah, they're, they're going to be a match for anybody in, in the rest of the season if they keep this momentum. And I think it's more the attitude, you know, that they, they've been bringing the games, um, the fight that they're showing. And just to go back to that Ulster game, that's something that I've seen. And people talk about confidence a lot. I think you can talk about confidence maybe you know, two or three weeks in a row, but I don't buy it for, like, months on end and I think that's why Dan McFarlane made a raft of changes for this game he made I think it was half a dozen to the starting team brought in fresh blood new faces guys who were chomping at the bit couldn't wait to go out and express themselves uh, and they certainly did that and you know, there's going to be a few boys that are maybe disappointed that they might not get a run this weekend as well Ian when you watch Munster obviously they have more confidence they're playing a more expressive game yeah, when you look at their scores, Gavin Coombs, Shaka Dunahoo, they're still all coming through the forwards, through the backs, even with, with Carberry at 10 and Crowley playing at 12. Do they start need to start getting tries in these bigger games? Uh, well, for Jack Dunahoo's try, I thought it was actually really good play between interplay between backs and forwards, and it, it ended up being Coombs out the edge, and uh, he did he used his footwork, stepped back in, and it was great support play by Jack Dunahoo. So, there is glimpses of of the the backs and the forwards interlinking, and they are being a bit more creative. Now you are dead right; most of their tries are still coming from from the mall try or a little pick and goes. And but but then again, if that what works for you, it, it is a little bit part of the monster DNA to the corner mall forwards around the corner. Like that that is the monster DNA. They've been doing it for years and. You, you don't want to get away from that, but you, at the same time, you still want to develop your your attacking game. And I think we've seen glimpses of that, especially with uh, with Jack, um, uh, with with Joey and Jack in the, uh, Joey at ten, Jack at twelve. They're kind of being a little bit more creative now. I think there's still time for that to develop, and I think it is developing. But in the meantime, they're still sticking to their bread and butter, which is quite similar to how Ulster are still getting their tries, kicking to the corner, getting their mall going, and then. Usually, usually Gavin Coombs at the end of it, who's who's he's, he's really becoming very CJ Stander like with uh, with his game. He's he's so strong. He he's able to absorb the first initial contact, and then the leg drive kicks in, and then all of a sudden there's two or three guys latching onto him, and it just 
pushes them over the line and, and Munster actually scored a nice little creative five metre try they changed the point of attack and then swung back against the grain which, which shows that they're developing their, their attacking game not not to the extent that uh, Leinster are but that's what a few results will do to you you can start being a little bit more creative and and uh, yeah probably goes back to that, that confidence piece that uh, they're starting to play a bit more because they're getting results Stephen, you think they could have done more to take the sting out of the game after half time? They to control it with fourteen men. They let it get very open, fifteen versus fourteen, and put themselves under a lot of pressure. Yeah, but you know the the opposition are going to have purple patches as well. And just because Munster playing at home, and it was brilliant to see a right old crowd there as well, um, supporting the lads. And you know, a couple of things went Northampton's way. Uh, they're a good side. They've uh, you know a pretty solid pack most weeks in the in, in the Gallagher Premiership. They have a great history uh, in the European Cup as well. They're not a team that's just going to turn up and you know go 20 points down and go, right, lads, come on, we'll go for a beer in the change rooms here. There was none of that there. It was They showed a lot of a lot of grit and determination to claw their way back into the game. And you know, a couple of key penalties that they knocked over to keep closing the gap. And then you know, the Munster fans start getting a little bit quieter. And the players start getting a wee bit more edgier. And uh, before you know it, it's, what you know, twenty-seven, twenty-three with the the, the last kickoff, and um, you know that was the game. So a lot closer than we probably all expected after uh, forty-four minutes on the clock. Um, but you know, fair play as we we chatted about a few minutes ago. You know, Monster will take a lot out of that win, and I'm sure Graham Roundtree will be very, very proud of his lads. Ian Connacht uh, scored 61 points against Breve, conceded only just five. Uh, can we read in anything into that in the Challenge Cup? Um, not really. Breve didn't really come with the... They, they kind of have conceded that competition already. They're, they're in a bit of trouble in the top 14, so I think all their um, their resources and their time is going to go into that. I, listen, it, it's great, obviously, when you're scoring 61 points, you can't really... Uh, complain about that and, it, and it's great for Connacht they're going well in that competition and hopefully they do go on well in that competition because it can really a, a good cup run like in football a good a good cup run can, can really kickstart your season and they've been struggling in the URC a little bit so maybe the confidence will be up I know Alex Wharton scored three tries and that, that, would, that would do wonders for, for his confidence but the whole team to score 61 points Going again into this weekend, they're looking like they're they're straight they're already straight into the into the quarterfinals or last sixteen of that competition, and it, it, it does a lot for you. Once again, we're talking about it all night. Your, your, your confidence, so I wouldn't read into it too much, but it, it was great to see kind of put put that uh, much points, and and they're doing well in in their competition, and um, yeah, hopefully it just can have a little knock on effect into the into the URC. Okay, Ian and Stephen, thank you so much for joining us. We'll be building up to the rest of those European games uh, later in the week. And we also have that Ireland squad announcement. We're going to take a very quick break now, though. Stay with us. Game on on 2FM. Welcome back. It's time now to turn our attention to football. I'm delighted to say that Paul Curry is still here and Stephen Kelly joins us on the line as well. Um, it's quite an interesting weekend, or it has been quite an interesting weekend, Paul, because even though we saw Arsenal answer another uh, question that was posed to them yesterday by beating Spurs, I still feel we need to start with Manchester United and Manchester City. It just feels like it was a more significant game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was it was a superb watch. 
um, in, in many different ways Maria I think tactically how United set up they got a lot right they frustrated Man City but then to see City kind of come to the fore in the second half and Kevin De Bruyne doing what Kevin De Bruyne does and, and setting up the goal for Jack Grealish and then obviously the controversies that surrounded the offside decision but there was a lot to the game and um, you know very much the resurgence of Manchester United under Eric Ten Hag Stephen how exactly was it onside? <laughs> uh, I wasn't <laughs> that, 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 that's the best way I can come to terms with the only way I can look at it was myself as a player and, and if it would like I said the impact to you if I think Walker 100% because like, you know Walker's pace and the type of player he is if he's marking Bruno Fernandes and he thinks he's the danger he'll just step across him push him out of way and he won't get to that ball but because he's going to Rashford he's trying to get back in and recover and he's trying to open up a little bit more um, it, it shouldn't have stood I don't know how he's not interfering with players but it's it's up to interpretation and that's what the crazy thing about the law is it's up to interpretation and, and they got it wrong um, and it, it completely changed the outcome of the game but you know did, did City do enough to beat United on the day I'm not sure they did so you know sometimes you ride your luck a little bit but it, it shouldn't have stood no Paul even like leaving the two defenders out of it what about the keeper? I mean, what's he supposed to do? Is Rashford going to strike this? Is Fernandez going to strike it? Does he change his position even if Fernandez is going to hit it rather than what it looks like Rashford is? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it all comes down to interference and an impact on people's decision making. And it's obviously very difficult for, Ed for Edison to know whether or not it's going to be Rashford striking the ball or Bruno Fernandez coming on to it. And that alone would make you believe that it's an offside decision and, and that it should have been offside. But even before that, I know Stephen's mentioned there about Stephen Kelly, but if even if you think of Akanji's positioning when Casemiro picks mm. up the ball, his uh, how deep or how high he's playing is impacted by where Marx Rashford's position is. And he would not be, you know... Um, in that position only where Marks Rashford is and that alone will impact then where his decision making comes with Bruno Fernandes and then also his ability to, to his recovery run to get back around and, and cut, out the, cut out the pass so there's a couple of things that we've mentioned there between Kyle Walker Ederson and Akanji I can't understand like that linesman as well is very experienced he went to the mm. World Cup and was in the World Cup final he was the one who actually put the flag up I think it was offside and I, I can't really get my head around why, why or how it was allowed yeah. Well it was lads and there's nothing that anyone can do about it right now so let's just chat about the game because uh, in the lead up to it Stephen Pep Guardiola said he was going to have these brilliant ideas on how to defeat Manchester United we didn't see them though No and I think that's for City they've just come up short of late which is it's so uncity like and we're expecting them at some point just to hit full flow hit full top gear and blow the competition away and go on a crazy run and catch Arsenal but it's not coming and it's, it's get, they're getting closer and closer to to not being able to do it I, I still wouldn't put it past them putting a, get, putting a string together especially with the way they started with Holland but for some reason they, they're just they're lacking something and it's very hard to pinpoint exactly what it is but that creativity that they normally have in abundance um seems to have waned slightly and they just don't seem as imperious in the, in the front line as they, as they have been so it's, it's hard to know whether they're going to actually pose a real threat to catch an Arsenal at the moment um, but yeah, I wouldn't pull past them but I just can't I just think they're, they're still lacking something that's such a, a curious thing, Paul. Stephen's right. They they do seem like they're lacking something. But then, like when you just look at the the 
possible starting eleven, and even the players that could come in, and and you mm. you know individually what they're all capable of, and and Haaland being one that for so long seemed unstoppable on his own, but it does feel like they're lacking. Something. Yeah, and they were passive, Marie, when they played Chelsea the week before in the first half in particular and they switched on the second half they made the changes obviously in the League Cup against Southampton and again they look lethargic and tired and that could be the same set of, of the performance against Manchester United on the weekend like for the first half in particular they were so passive in possession and there were so many times that Haaland made good runs and there was opportunities to play him in and they went backwards and sideways and almost restarted the phase of play again and, and the I guess the fluidity that we saw earlier on in the season and how potent they looked in, in attack when Haaland was fed seems to have kind of just dwindled out of their game a bit now it won't take much I don't think for it, for it to click back into into gear again and they go on one of those crazy runs like, like Stephen has mentioned but there is a certain I don't know like uh, killer instinct kind of gone from their game right now well the Manchester derby was red so was the North London derby red Arsenal 8 points clear at the top of the Premier League Stephen and they were brilliant in the first half yesterday yeah, and Tottenham were awful. It's it's every game of the season. Spurs have got off to a really bad start, and I was really worried for. I've been at the last two Spurs matches, the Portsmouth one in the FA Cup, and again for 60 minutes they're really poor against a, quite a poor team from the lower leagues, and took Harry Kane moment of brilliance. They just don't get going in games, and up against an Arsenal side who who don't take long to get going and and know how to win games, they seem so so confident in their ability and what they're doing from the from the coaching perspective as well. It just looks such a well-drilled organisation and it's worrying because I knew going into this game I didn't really fancy Tottenham at home yes gives us a chance but the way they've been playing it was just it was a big worry that Arsenal were going to blow them away in the first half and that's kind of what they did Spurs made a decent effort in the second half came at them a little bit but it was too little too late and Arsenal have just shown real credentials of a team that's that's got that winning mentality and, and kind of the bit between their teeth they, they just feel I think that they can beat most teams and that's something that you know grows in confidence as, as they go on but I, I just think they, they look like they're not lacking in any department at the moment Paul all we want as football fans when you're you know just taking the, the league as a, an entertaining product is to have a really good title race and I think we're going to get that especially with Arsenal playing Manchester United next weekend they have to play City twice do you think they can do it? Yeah, well, I mean, they're showing no signs of slowing down at the moment. If you just look at the teams that they've beaten, uh, you know, Spurs twice, Chelsea away from home, Liverpool at home, they've beaten the big or perceived big teams already this season. And uh, they've obviously done the business against the teams that you expect them to pick up three points. So I just thought there was a lot to their performance yesterday. There was obviously the domination of possession in the first half, but they had to show a bit of grit in the second, which isn't a word that we always use with Arsenal. And they seem to have a much better foundation with the two centre-halves and Ramsdale. So there's no signs there, Marie, of them slowing down. I guess what we're expecting now is for Man City to pick up. And you would imagine that it's going to be one of one of either Arsenal or Man City who go on and win it. Because that pressure, if they are coming at them, that's what's hard to deal with. It is, and they have to play City twice again in the league. Um, and they've got a number of fixtures. Like We're not even halfway through the season yet, so there's a hell of a lot of football mm-hmm. to play. Um, they have answered a lot of questions, but it's when maybe they hit that little dip in form. Are they going to be able to deal with it? Or if they were still to lose one of those centre-halves or one of the you know, Parse or Zaka, I think that could have a massive impact on them. I think Paul hit the nail on the head. It's when those injuries come and when City, well, if City hit top gear, can they withstand that pressure? And last season, 
they they fell to and it, and it was Spurs chasing them for that Champions League spot and they just completely capitulated and I wonder if they've learned from that if they've got a little bit more steeliness and they understand what it takes to kind of see it through to the end I know it wasn't they weren't going for the Premier League title but they were going for a really significant Champions League spot and you know it was like the last six games they were in well in control of it and they threw it away so you know it's to see if they've got that out of this year but I, I think all signs point to the fact that they do Paul, 13 of the teams actually are halfway through the Premier League season. They've played 19 games. Liverpool haven't got going. Will they ever get going this season? It's a good question, really. Like They were absolutely battered against Brighton. You know, the, the score Klopp line, said it was the worst he's ever seen. Yeah, and the scoreline does not flatter um, Brighton in any way, shape or form. They were completely outplayed with and without the ball. And it's hard to put your finger on where it's actually gone wrong for Liverpool because only, you know, rewind a couple of months, we were we were looking at them going on for, for on all fronts in all competitions. But it's not showing any signs, Ruby, at this moment in time. Like, the, the midfield looks really inept of, of energy or, or legs and, and difficult to get around the park they're not suffocating teams like they have done previously and then at the back only for Alisson they would have conceded more goals in, in fixtures gone by so it's hard to see how it's going to turn confidence is a huge thing in any sport and Liverpool are certainly lacking it Stephen can they put their hand in their pocket and buy a few midfielders before the end of January they can but it's it's what what type of midfielders they're going to get are they going to get people that come in and actually fill that void of what they're missing and Paul, Paul again has nailed it it's, it's, it's energy levels they look lethargic and whether it's it's a level of intensity they've had to, dis- to display for the last number of seasons to be at the top has, has just started finally to tell and you know this aged legs in the middle of the park they just can't do what they did before and you know I've spoken with so many times about how the Henderson covering trends and how it, it that, that but that changing it means Trent's not as effective going forward. Liverpool are, are more are weaker defensively as well because no one's covering his position, and it just it, it spirals. But I think all over the park they just seem to be not only his lack of energy, but then there's a confidence that's dipped within the side as well. And you know, Klopp is is clutching a little bit to try and get change informations or change in tactics to see what 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 can fit with what he has. But at the and thing is they've got a they've got a lot a larger number of players missing as well, and um, big impactful players, but they just look well off it Stephen sometimes I think that we underappreciate how much work goes into being a Premier League player that we have this perception that they train for just a couple of hours play a bit of PlayStation have a nap maybe have another nap and that's about it and it's hard to understand how they can the level can can drop so much but like clearly that's not the case that when you're expending so much energy all of the time at that level it's going to eventually get to a stage where you just can't do it anymore. How does it get to that stage, though? It's, it's a number of, it's a couple of things, isn't it? It's the Liverpool have played like that at a huge intensity for a number of seasons, and they fought on every department right till the end. The most competitions, so they've gone long distance in Champions League. They've gone to the end in the Premier League. They've pushed in almost every club competition for probably the last four seasons. They've been in or about it in every competition with relatively a small number of players that have played the majority of games so physically that's a huge demand on them um, but I, what's more than physically it's mentally it's when they do have a dip in form when they do drop um, and they can't see a way of winning their head they change that and usually you change that by 
bringing in players that have an instant impact or completely lift the morale in the squad and that hasn't happened with the players they're signing that's how normally teams have done over the years Man United have always you know, like the Ferguson and players like that Pep even they've signed big players that have come in and been able to hit the ground running straight away Liverpool haven't been able to do that they did it with Van Dijk they did it with Alisson they did it with a few big players that really came in and made huge impacts but the latest signings haven't had the same effect and that lifts the whole group and the morale around the team and I just think that that's, that's what the issue is and even on that as well like Liverpool had seven days to prepare for that game you know they're not used to having that mm. amount of time physically and tactically to prepare, prepare for an opposition and they were just so far off it they don't think they need to go on holidays <laughs> 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 they're just being at holiday that's it yeah they had a lot of time off there for the well, World Cup they look like they're doing another six weeks off they look mentally fatigued <laughs> they just look drained mm. so they do Here, Newcastle are making a good charge though Stephen and they're a value for more than one goal against Fulham the other night Oh, you know, it was a great game. Two teams that are totally superseding what anybody expected. Fulham, I'm loving it. They're top six, back fine for Europe, which is amazing. I was there, thereabouts with them when we, when we did that for a couple of seasons in a row. And to have them up and around there. But Newcastle, you know, you wouldn't in any shape or form think that that's a team that you kind of think, right, they're going to be top three. They're going to be pushing. They're, they're looking almost title contenders at some point because the depth in their squad and the players they have, like Dan Bourne, I was asked for them when we signed them from Darlington, you know, and you're kind of going for this six foot seven guy who turned out to be the biggest left back for a while at Brighton now to being arguably one of the standout defenders of the season. You know, it's an amazing thing. But this goes to show you what confidence can breed in a squad. They're so confident in their ability and the difference it has made with those fans that are actually supporting them instead of being on their backs and hating the, the setup in the background with the board and, and the you know, you can't I honestly can't underestimate you used to go to Newcastle and the first ten minutes of that game, if we hadn't if they hadn't started well, you know you're in a chance to beat them because the fans were turning them. They they're not gonna turn now because they're so happy and content with the way the situation is with the board and everything that they just feel like they're going on this journey and that, that that's been massive as well. And Paul, the other team that really have turned it around the last couple of weeks are not Forest. They've won three of their last five, they beat Leicester two nil at the weekend. They're on the up. I thought they were a goner after watching them in the first league of the season. Yeah, same, Ruby, and uh, you know, fair play to Nottingham Forest and stick sticking with uh, Steve Cooper because there was a couple of weeks there where I'm sure they might have been tempted to change us. They've obviously brought in so many no, so many new faces to that dressing room that it, you know you could probably excuse him having a slow start, but he's really turned it around. That was a really impressive performance against Leicester, and uh, Brennan Johnson is somebody who has, I guess, stood out from the beginning of the season as somebody who has real talent, and to see him pop up with two goals in the weekend was no surprise. So they're gonna need a couple more of them. Uh, I feel Ruby because you would imagine with the teams that are, are down there there's maybe one or two that you might suspect might pick up a bit and there's probably one or two that might drop down and, and Nottingham Forest be one of them for me but at the moment all things going in the right direction for Steve Cooper OK well we'll be talking more football tomorrow evening that's all we have time for for now though uh, do join myself and Ruby tomorrow from 6 o'clock Betty De Silva is up next